0: That's our prayer as we come before God's Word. We're uh, taking a little break from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and we're, for the summer, we're going to go back to the Old Testament book of Psalms. So we're going to spend our summer in the Psalms. Uh, Psalms is a book of 150 poems, songs, and prayers written to And about God. Now, they're not poems in the sense that they rhyme. So, if your definition of a poem is rhyming, you will be a little bit confused when you read the Psalms, because I just said they're poetry, but none of them rhyme. No, the reason that Psalms are poetry, there's a couple of things that make them. They're Hebrew poetry. Uh, But one of the things that's, that's beautiful about the Psalms is they take truth, right? The psalmist take truth, and then put it, uh, and then basically make it sing to our imaginations by using uh, uh, imagery, graphic imagery. And so uh, that's part of the way that uh, poetry works. Uh, It makes truth kind of sing to our imagination. So as we go through the book of Psalms, you're going to have to use your imagination, and that's okay. God gave it to you for that very purpose. In fact, you should probably use your imagination more than you, more than you do in every part of the Bible. Um, but the Psalms, uh, were written over the course of many, many centuries. We have one Psalm from Moses, uh, and so at least, uh, from the history of God's people, they go back that far. Uh, but they were put together in their final form after the exile. Now, what is that? What is the exile? Well, let's, let's go back to Moses. You may know the story of Moses. Moses uh, God uses Moses to liberate his people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, he brings them to Mount Sinai where he gives them the law. And then he carries them through 40 years uh, to the promised land. And the reason it takes 40 years is because of the stubborn rebellion and unbelief of the people. Uh, and God reminds them over and over again during that time of how he has blessed them of how he has rescued them, of how he has carried them, because of his grace, because of his promises to them. And as they're about to go into the promised land, as they're about to take possession of it, Moses reminds them again of God's history with them. And God says through Moses, basically, as long as you remain faithful to me, you will remain in the land. But when you rebel... I will eventually, here are, the, here are the, the judgments I will bring against you, and the final judgment will be that you will be removed from the land. Well, if you know the story of the Old Testament, it doesn't take very long. In fact, they've been rebelling almost from the moment they were set free from Egypt's slavery, uh, and God continues to bear with them. Uh, but as soon as they get into the promised land, uh, they begin to rebel. And that's kind of the story, the cycle of the Old Testament. Uh, God delivers his people, his people rebel, he allows them to be uh, under the oppression of uh, evil rulers, then he delivers them again, and then they rebel. And he delivers them again, and then they rebel. It's kind of a broken record. But then, about 800 years into that, in the year 586 BC, God says, that's enough. And he removes the people from the land. He exiles them. Uh, he allows the Babylonian Empire to come in and to take them captive and to carry them off. And the temple is destroyed. It's a low point, um, but God is a God who keeps His word, and so He allows the people to be exiled, uh, and then He allows them to return after seventy years in exile. So I want you to. Just, I want to put those two things in front of you. Those two timelines, really quickly. Um, if you if you hear, man. God kicked him out of the land he gave him. That doesn't seem very nice. Eight hundred years of patience. Our country has not existed for that long. right? Eight hundred years of God shows his patience and forbearance with his people. He kicks them out of the land. And how long are they in exile? Seventy. Right? We have people in the room who are over 70 years old. So which one of those is longer? God's grace or God's judgment? Right? So he allows them to come back into the land, uh, and they do rebuild the temple, but it's not its former glory. Something is still missing. Uh, and it's at this time that the Psalms are uh, kind of put together in their final form as a prayer book, both uh, praising God, also lamenting, complaining to God, uh, but looking forward to the moment when God will send his Messiah the promised king who will finally bring in uh, the great day of God's blessing. Uh, So that's kind of a a brief background for the psalms. We're not going to cover every psalm in the book, okay? There's 150 of them. Um, What we're going to do is kind of like skip a rock across the surface. We're going to just hit several different kinds of psalm as we move uh, through the book. Um, And we're going to start with Psalm 1. So uh, turn with me there to Psalm 1. You almost would want to say Psalm chapter 1, but this book doesn't really have chapters in that sense. Each psalm is its own kind of self-contained poem. But I want you to notice something. If you can have Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 in front of you, okay? Um, Psalm 1 begins by saying, Blessed is the man, or blessed is the person, all right? And then I want you to look at the very last sentence in Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. All right, so Psalms one, Psalms 1 and 2 are like, I want you to imagine them as two pillars of this beautiful gateway into the Psalms. And the reason we know that they go together is because they begin and end with the same idea, right? The, the fancy... Bible word for that is inclusio. Okay? They're, they, they begin and they have this book ending of blessing. And so these two Psalms will give us the themes for the rest of the book. And they're going to tell us what it looks like to live a blessed life, how one receives God's blessing. Today we're going to look at Psalm 1. Next Sunday we're going to look at Psalm 2. I also want to do something uh, a little bit different than we've done here in the past. Um, but. Um, Some of our sister churches do it, and I think it's pretty neat. Uh, It's an Old Testament practice that whenever God's word was read, the people stood in reverence for God's word. And so let me invite you to stand as we read uh, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners... "...nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away." Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As far as the reading of God's word, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would bring your blessing. May we be the people who meditate on it and are like healthy trees planted by streams of water that yield fruit. Lord, would you bear fruit in us even as we look at this psalm together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Somewhere in your educational Career, you probably have or will read Robert Frost's poem, The Road Less Traveled. Raise your hand if you've ever read or heard that poem, Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled, right? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. I'm not gonna, I can't recite the whole thing from memory, but it would be cool if I could. Um, so Frost, right, tells of coming to a fork in the road, a decision point. Uh, and he looks down both paths and they both. Look roughly the same. Uh, One seems like fewer people have been on it. And he can't really tell where they end. Uh, And so he chooses the road. As he says the road less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Well here we have another poet. And he also tells us about a fork in the road. But these two roads don't look the same. They also don't end in the same place, and he tells us exactly where they end. Um, in fact, he tells us only one road leads to happiness, and the other does not. And so here at the very beginning of the Psalms, we're faced with a choice, a very stark choice that every single person, every man, woman, boy, and girl must make. And only one of those will turn out well. And so, here's the question. What makes you happy? I mentioned that word at the very beginning, and I, and I mean it in a deeper sense than just, you know, ice cream makes me happy. Though, ice cream may give you that sense that all is well with the world. And it certainly has that power, especially if it's good ice cream, right? Good coffee. Uh, what is it that makes you Happy. I don't know if you realize this, but that's actually what every single person in this room is in the business of pursuing. Every single one of us, in every decision we make, every single day, is pursuing happiness. That's what we're doing. That's why you do what you do. You're trying to be happy. And some of us are succeeding, and some of us are not. And most of us are a little bit of both. But here's what the psalmist is doing. He, he looks, we, right, we look out over our lives and all of these decisions and choices and things and all of that. What the psalmist does is he kind of pulls us over and he gives us a set of glasses. And, and he puts them over our eyes. Right? I don't know if you remember these. These were, these were big when I was in high school. But like it was like these, these pictures that were all shapes and swirls and dots and like you were supposed to be able to look at it a certain way and you could see the hidden picture. I could never see the hidden picture. Okay? But I want you to imagine, right, that you have this this sw- picture of swirl and swirls and dots before you. And what the psalmist does is he pulls you aside and he he puts these special glasses on you. And when those glasses on, it reveals everything. Right? He's showing us what it is that makes that will really make us happy right he's giving us the glasses to reveal the true picture right for all of the decisions that you make in every single day there are really only two there is the way of blessing and there is the way of not and so he's going to break it down like this first he he gives us he tells us about two ways to live and then he gives us two ways to finish i really wanted to say two ways to die but that actually wouldn't be true because one of these paths does not lead to death. Uh, and so finish was the better word than I could come up with. So two ways to live and two ways to finish. And all of it, it here's, here's the main idea. Happiness is found in meditating on God's word. True happiness, true satisfaction is found in meditating on God's word. He begins by telling us how not to do things, how not to go. Look at verse 1. Happy is the man, happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right? He gives us three parallel descriptions of how not to be happy. And they all describe your way of life, Right? Uh, walking, standing, and sitting. Now, some see a progression in that, right? First, you begin by walking with the wicked, then you stand, and then finally you finish by sitting. Um, that doesn't that, that might, might be the case. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, Derek Kidner, who's a, a commentator, describes this as thinking, behaving, and belonging. But the point is that the this is how not to receive God's blessing. Right? And it is to be all taken up in the wicked. Who are the wicked? They're also described as the sinners and the scoffers. These are the people who reject God. These are the people who reject God's truth. These are the people who are going in the opposite direction, away from God. And so, to my young friends, who you spend your time with matters. We can see here, right, blessed are those who do not spend their time among the wicked, among the sinners, among uh, the scoffers. Not among in the sense of uh, you're, you're going to be around sinful people. You yourself are a sinful person, right? You can't not be around yourself. So, yeah, right. But what? What he means is that your entire life is taking up with is taken up with their way of thinking with their way of living right that is the way away from the Lord so he, he begins by giving us the neck the negative but then he follows it with a positive he says but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night that word law it's the Hebrew word Torah and it Specifically, he talks about the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? Uh, technically, that is the Torah. Okay? And if you n- realize that, that uh, it's not just law. It's not just commands. There is law in there. There are commands in there, but there's also history and there's poetry. Right? The Torah is much broader than the way that we usually think about law. Right, so if you read that and go, his delight is in the law of the Lord, like how much meditating can you do on the Ten Commandments? Right, I tried to meditate on Leviticus. That's a lot of law. I'm not sure about that. Right, That word Torah is more than law the way that we normally think about it, which is why your translation may say instruction. Okay? Um, you can even use it more broadly, and we see this in Psalm 119. Where it talks about God's word as a whole. And so you could even read this as his delight is in the word of the Lord. And on his word he meditates day and night. So we're not talking narrowly just about the law. But about God's word uh, in total. And all of it is meant uh, for our instruction. Right? Uh, How does the word instruct us? And this is where uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is helpful. Question number three says, What does the Bible principally teach? What is the Bible first and foremost about? And here's the answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe about God and what duty God requires of man. And so when we come to God's word... It tells us about God. And it tells us about ourselves. And it tells us how in the world to live before him as our creator and our king. That's what we have in God's word. And so we want to meditate on it. Now, when I say the word meditate, what do you think of? Like cross legs, home, something like that. Empty empty your mind of all thought. That's not how the Bible means meditate. The word, the Hebrew word, means to mutter. Right? It's kind of like a low speaking. Uh, And so what's in view here, and you'll see this actually if you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, uh, Orthodox Jews sit and pray at the Wailing Wall, and you'll see them, their mouths are moving as they rock back and forth. They're muttering. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, talks about this verb, and he describes uh, in, his, in his book, Eat This Book, uh, it's like a dog chewing on a bone, right? You gnaw on it for a little bit, and maybe you go set it aside, and then you go back and you get it and you gnaw on it some more. That's what we're talking about with meditating on God's Word. And why does he meditate on it? Because he delights in it. That's really where we want to go for this person her joy is found in meditating on God's word she enjoys it right and so it's it's more than a discipline it's more than a duty it certainly is that but it is a delight and so you may say delight is not the first word that comes to mind when i think of reading the bible confusing is the first word that comes or I know some people say boring is the first word that comes to mind when I think of uh, of reading the Bible uh, which by the way I'll just give you a plug uh, for our our new summer Sunday school class we're working on reading the Bible together um, and so um, and in the fall hopefully we'll be offering our biblical foundations class so if understanding the Bible is part of the barrier to enjoying it we want to lower or remove as many of those barriers as possible so that's just my my plug for that but this person finds delight in chewing on in reading in praying over god's word and let me just give you one very practical suggestion and i think i mentioned this last week in our class when you read the bible to meditate is to read it out loud. Because what happens when you read it out loud is not only are you reading it with your eyes, you're engaging your other senses. You're speaking with your mouth. And you're hearing it spoken with your ears. Right. So you've engaged three of your senses just in reading it. And you may have to read over it. Uh, more than once, that's okay. But when you read out loud, you engage your brain in a way that you would not have engaged it if you just read it silently. So that's what kind of what it looks like to meditate on God's word. And then he he brings that truth uh, to life for us by giving us two pictures. Um, the first he gives in verse three. He says that this person, this blessed person, who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Is like a tree planted by streams of water, and so easy enough, right? The the tree is has got deep roots. It's rooted in God's word, and it receives nourishment from the living water, right? And it's not uh, it's not like a, a channel or a conduit for that water. That the, just like a tree takes nutrients in and turns them into fruit so also this person rooted in god's word receives nourishment from it but also then yields its fruit Uh, so the tree takes the water converts it into fruit and something that i thought about as i went through this is fruit this is this is the beauty of god's creation fruit is both beautiful and good is beautiful good and useful Right. Think about it. Uh, Fruit not only looks good on a tree, but it also tastes good. Right. We enjoy eating it. And what is the purpose of every single fruit grown on every single tree? It's to reproduce more trees. Right, So fruit is even useful. And so I just imagine the person. Think about what this says about you as a person as you meditate on God's word. As you take it in and as it nourishes your soul, right? The fruit that your life bears is beautiful. It's good and it's useful to other people, right? It reproduces spiritually in the lives of other people, right? No, think about this. No tree exists for itself. I think that's right. I can ask my former friends later. No tree exists for itself, It exists to reproduce other trees, right? We don't exist for ourselves. And as God bears fruit in our lives, it is for the benefit of others. Not only does it bring praise to him, but it also benefits those around us. That's what happens as we root ourselves in God's word. And then he says, right, yielding fruit in its season. Trees don't bear fruit in every season, do they? Sometimes the branches look bare, and they are bare, but the real work is happening underneath the surface, right? As the, as the roots sink deeper, as the tree grows stronger in preparation for the next season of bearing fruit. And don't let this be a discouragement to you. Fruit starts out small, right? Peaches and apples don't start fully grown. They begin as little buds, and then they grow into flowers before their fruit. So if you look at your life, you're like, man, I'm not seeing a whole lot of fruitfulness It just may be that the fruit looks really small right now, but in season it will grow and it will flourish. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the picture that God gives of the blessed person. He meditates on his word. On the other hand, the description of the wicked is very, very short. Not so the wicked. He is like chaff. The wind drives away. What is chaff? Well, this when they would harvest, uh, they would say they would harvest grain. They would bring all that grain to a place called the threshing floor, and it was usually a place where they had a good breeze or wind going. And what would happen is they'd take something like a a pitchfork, and they would all be heaped there on the threshing floor, and they would dig the pitchfork in, and they would throw the grain up in the air, and the the kernel, the seed, which you wanted to keep it was heavier so it would fall back down and everything else the junk you didn't want to keep the chaff it would blow away right it was it was useless it was dust it just it blew off that that's the description of the wicked Un, unlike the rooted substantial healthy tree the wicked are like chaff they're tumbleweeds Blown about with no place and no lasting memory. And so the question for you and I is, which one of those would you want to describe your life? That's what he's laying before you. There's two ways to live. Do you want to be that substantial, healthy, fruit-bearing tree? Or do you want to be a tumbleweed? Chaff? uh, Having nothing? Gaining nothing, giving nothing. Those are the two options for us. How do you want to be known? Do you want to be known as a person who delights in God's word? Finding regular delight in fellowship with the Lord? Or do you want to be a scoffer? That's in the view of the Proverbs, another Hebrew wisdom, another Hebrew poet, poetry book, uh, The scoffer is the worst person to be. The scoffer is the one who totally rejects God. He mocks God. Um, Which one of those do you want to be? Two ways to live. And then he gives us two ways to finish. Look at verse 5 and 6. The psalmist tells us how both groups of people will end. He says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The rootless, weightless, wicked have nothing to stand on when Jesus returns. They may look good now, may have large homes and nice cars, positions of power and influence, but on that day they will have nothing. You will have nothing to stand on in the judgment. And they will have no place in the congregation of the righteous, in the assembly of God's people. There's no place for them there. They won't be able to stand there either. The righteous, on the other hand, are the opposite of the wicked. They embody what it means to be truly blessed. Verse 6 says that the lord knows the way of the righteous and obviously that means more than head knowledge it means more than just god intellectually knows where they're going to go right it means he looks after them he cares for them better yet he owns them and identifies with them he is their god and they are his people he knows the way of the righteous And so, on the other hand, while starkly and sadly, the road of the wicked will perish. It will come to a bitter and destructive end. And so, much like Mr. Frost said, two roads diverge. Which one will you take? Decide now. Where do you want to finish? Where do you want to see your road end? And then decide how you will live in the pleasant in the present. Will you take the road that leads to blessing, or will you take the road that leads away? Maybe a good question to a- answer uh, while when we close is this, why does God's word bring blessing? Right? If, if true happiness comes from meditating on God's word, we don't really answer why. Why does that bring true happiness? And the answer is because the word reveals the Lord himself. The word is what points us to God himself, even more specifically. What was what was Jesus described in John 1? How was Jesus described? The word The Word points us to the Word. We cannot know how to have life with God apart from this Word. Uh, We sang it before the sermon. Those words from Jesus' mouth when uh, the crowds are beginning to leave, Jesus has spoken a hard thing and the crowds are beginning to get disgusted and they're leaving, they're they're walking away from Him in droves and, and Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, Will you go too? And Peter says these beautiful things. These beautiful words. Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. The reason God's word brings blessing is because only here do you find the words of eternal life. Have you found eternal life in Jesus the word this morning? There is nowhere else to go. There is no other road to walk. If you would experience true happiness. Let me pray. Lord thank you again for not leaving us in the dark. uh, For not leaving us to guess. About how to find eternal life and eternal happiness. But for revealing it to us in your word. Lord I pray that we would be the people. Who meditate on your word day and night that we would delight to do so father i pray uh, especially because your word can be hard for us to understand it's a big book it's an old book Uh, it comes to us from from history and from cultures that we don't fully understand but lord i pray that you would create in us a thirst for your word so that we would be willing to push through those boundaries I pray particularly for our children and our youth that they would begin their spiritual lives here by delighting in and meditating upon your word so that they can understand true happiness and eternal life. And I pray that would be true for all of us. Lord, may we be a people, a church full of trees planted by the streams of water. Yielding our fruit in season, uh, whose leaves do not wither, and all that we do, we prosper. Lord, I pray that we would experience your blessing as a church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.